All right, all right. Good evening, everyone. Kofi and Shereen here from uh, welcome to another episode of the DEI Discussion Lounge. Um, yeah, so we are, it is Women's History Month, and um, in commemoration of that, uh, we wanted to have a conversation um, with one of uh, my close friends, um, uh, Delegate Irene Shen, who is uh, used to be my, my delegate in the Virginia House of uh, Representatives, um, but she's no longer due to redistricting, but we still love her. So uh, we wanted to invite her on to kind of talk about her journey in, uh, into politics and um, what inspired her. And um, yeah, to hopefully inspire some uh, other uh, women out there who are, and young girls who are maybe thinking about entering uh, the politics and, and to kind of see, you know, what, what, what motivates her, what kind of keeps her going. Um, so yeah, but before we get into it, Irene's gonna join us in a few minutes, but as normal, we like to kind of kick things off with a little bit of small talk and kind of talk about some of the current events and things of that nature. So yeah, um, what's right. going on? I'll kick it off. One important thing that's happening tomorrow is Kofi's birthday. <laughs> so Kofi, happy birthday, happy early birthday. Thank you, um, thank you, thank you. Tomorrow. Right, yeah, I guess we'll I'm start with that news. Feeling feeling young as ever. <laughs> um, yeah, it's always good to to celebrate another, another year. Um, and um, no, I'm feeling good. Um, you know, I'm blessed. I'm blessed to to be in a position where, you know, um, I can, you know, support my family and follow my dreams. And, you know, a lot of people look at birthdays as kind of a kind of a bad thing or like, oh, it's counting another year or whatever. But no, I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm blessed. No complaints. So keeping it rolling. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, what are we drinking today? What's our what's our. So we have some black girl magic. It is a Black-owned um, wine uh, with Bride Sisters. So you can find it at Total Wines. You can find it at Target. Um, it's everywhere. So we're we're pay paying homage to women um, this month, and, and specifically Black women. So All right. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> so what's going on in the world today? Um. I guess Women's History Month, so we should probably start off by asking, you know, what does women's history mean to you? Sure. So I would say for me, it's celebrating, you know, all the accomplishments of, you know, women, you know, all over the world. Um, International Women's Day was celebrated on March the 8th. Um, so it, it's an opportunity to uplift women um, and just just celebrate. So that I would say that very simplistically, but those are two things that I would say Women's History Month means to me. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. I mean, um, yeah, I would. I really can't really add too much to that. I think it's really important that we recognize the accomplishments of women during this month. Um, you know, uh, we just celebrated Black History Month, and it's a similar situation with women who have, who have been marginalized and 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 uh, um, oppressed in a lot of ways. Um, and so, taking the opportunity to recognize their accomplishments, I think, is really important. Um, and so, also as look as we look forward to. What else do we need to do to make sure that we close that gender gap as far as pay and mm -hmm. um, and make make things as uh, as equal as possible? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Some other things is uh, Howard made March Madness. I think for the first time, and I mean, I, I don't know how long. 
I mean, I think it was like thirty some years. Thirty something years. Thirty years. That's a huge, huge accomplishment, and I am a proud Bison. Um, so just wanted to shout out Howard uh, for making making some recent history and and making it into March Madness. I, I don't know how they did, but um, yeah, I don't know how they did either. They I made mean, it, they, so that's that's amazing. It normally sucks. <laughs> That is true, but uh, they, they, they made it. They made it. And yeah, no, shout out to the bison. Um, what else is going on in the world? We got Florida still doing its thing. Yes, um, Florida is still doing its thing. We, we're we all anxiously watching House Bill 999, um, where that could be detrimental to um, diverse groups, you know, on Florida campuses and including um, Divine Nine, um, the, the NPHC, the, the Black Greek organizations, Black student unions, um, not just Black, but all anything, anything that's deemed diverse under the DEI could be uh, compromised if this, if this bill gets, um, gets passed. So it's definitely something top of mind for a lot of legislators in Florida because this could, this could set a precedent. So hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, we got to watch that. I mean, Florida's just been going hard on the anti-black, the anti-woke, the anti-this. They just, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but we got to watch it here in Virginia too, right? Because it's, Absolutely. it's, it's it seems like not too long after uh, Florida does something, we see, you know, Governor Youngkin and, you know, starts to do something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he started just started doing like a review of the AP African American AP program here shortly mm-hmm. after we had that same discussion down in Florida. Um, so it's definitely something that that these trends don't just stay in one place, but right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, I think the other thing that was important over the last last couple of weeks actually was the fact that you know the the, the attack on DC's home rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was pretty significant. Um, so, so for those of you don't who aren't really tracking this closely, so um, DC, the DC City Council, uh, they voted to uh, amend their criminal justice laws, basically um, their criminal justice code. They hadn't been reviewed in like a hundred years or something. Um, and so they decided that they wanted to go through and make things more effective and 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 actually put in uh, pen- penalties that were actually more reflective of what the judges were actually handing down. Seems like it makes sense. But the narrative that came out of that was that this is a, something that's soft on crime. Um, and so it got shut down. Uh, Mario Bowser vetoed it originally, but then it, had, it, it reached a veto veto proof majority. And so then it went, it, of course, because Congress controls and, and has a right to override whatever laws DC passes, um, they they did. Um, President Biden came out and he tweeted that he was would oppose it because I think there's just a, a fear that this might become um, this might become uh, something that's that's a. Um, a threat, I guess, to 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 the uh, to, to the party and and. and not wanted to seem soft on crime. So unfortunately, with, with this sets a precedent now that there are other things that that the Congress can get involved in and override DC's home rule. So DC, you know, someplace where I grew up, someplace where you live, it's kind of near near and dear to my heart, but it really should be something that should should be um on top of mind for everyone because uh DC is in a very unique situation where they don't actually control what their um they don't have the, the the same level of control. Like Congress can't just come in and override any other city 
in America except DC. So they're paying, they don't have a, a vote in Congress. They don't, they, you know, and so it's, it's a really uh, uh, scary situation over there because it sets a precedent for other things. And then DC kind of becomes kind of like a political football where anytime, anytime Congress, someone in Congress wants to make a statement, they just use a, a DC law and to, to, to kind of, you know, get some political, political points off of it. And so the people of DC don't actually have a say so you know, in what in how their city is run. So I, mm -hmm. I think it's it's a, it's a pretty bad um it's a pretty bad precedent. Yeah. So um but yeah something to watch for in, in the coming weeks and months though. Um well so um, I think the other big issue that was kind of making some national headlines was uh the reverend so the city of San Francisco passed a uh no they had a commission that that ruled and said that they were going to um hand or, or or recommended that the that the descendants of slaves uh of enslaved people would receive five million dollars in reparations um the naacp there came out and said that they originally the president of, of the local chapter came out and said that no, no no we don't want reparations you know we just want you know some better social services um, and now this has been kind of going back and forth because they were like, well, you know, the, even the branch came out. I think they got a lot of backlash for that naturally. Um, and so now they're trying to try to backtrack and say, well, no, we we actually want others, this other stuff and reparations or this was enough money or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, so I think it's been kind of an embarrassment a little bit for NAACP to come out against reparations. When, yeah. You know, um, I, I do hope that this is something that takes more gets more traction nationally mm -hmm. um but yeah i don't know and Do there's some thoughts about that? aren't there some states that have done reparations or i don't know about like on the state level okay. i know there have been like other cities who mm -hmm. have um started doing some reparations work but it's definitely something that needs to continue mm -hmm. um and hopefully make it to the national stage um but there are little pockets of it happening here and there. But mm -hmm. this was just really weird to see the end of ACP come out against to come it. out yeah. against it, right? right. Which just really looks bad. So, right. Um, I'm I'm glad that they're backtracking somewhat. Hopefully, not not too much damage was done right. in them coming out against something that's been fought for for so long. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. And we have the the banking crisis. Um. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot, a lot, lot to unpack there. What are, what are your yeah? So, thoughts? all right, this is way out. Of, I'm way out of my depth on this. Um, I think we should talk about it a little bit, just because. But, but to be perfectly honest, um, it's a very complicated issue. So I'll try to summarize this as much as I can, as much as I know. So long and short is that banks made a lot of bad decisions. A lot of the, some of the biggest banks in the country made a lot of bad investments. Um, and now that they are hurting for cash, now that now that people are trying to get their money out, not not just individual people, but but a lot of these big like tech startups that put a lot of money into like Silicon Valley Bank, for example, um, they're realizing that the money isn't there mm -hmm. um, because they they essentially uh, lost all of their money. Right. Um, so now, in order to show shore up the banking system and, and prevent a run on a run on the banks, now you have a lot of the um, you know, a lot of other banks are getting involved. The government's getting involved, trying to say like, "Hey, look, don't panic, don't try to take all your money out because this could really cripple the whole entire mm -hmm. banking sector." But you know, we've been through this before, um, and I feel like here we are again. Right. You know, a lot of these these big banks just not 
being um, responsible mm-hmm. in how they're handling these investments, and it and it threatens our entire economy because of it. Right. Yeah. Something so, to definitely keep an eye out on over the next next few months. Um, next, we have yeah. uh, you know, unfortunately, continued um, violence um, against. Black, black males. We have the, the case here in Fairfax with uh, Timothy Johnson that happened at Tyson's Mall about was it mm. a month ago at this point? Close to it. Close yeah. to a month ago where um, still still pushing to, for the videos to be released and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. I believe the video is going to be released sometime this week. Um, I, I believe, yeah. So it, it shouldn't have taken this long, but like that's how it is. That's that's the that's the agreement, I guess that that the Fairfax uh, police have, have, have agreed to. Um, but they are we're going to release that body cam footage. Um, just a quick recap for anyone who's not not really familiar with the case. So there was like a, a gentleman who stole some sunglasses, allegedly stole some sunglasses out of um, a mall in Tyson's Tyson's Corner, and uh, he was unarmed. But he was uh, the police chased him down into some neighbor na- nearby wooded area and uh, shot him and killed him. Uh, so the family has been asking for justice and tra- asking to see the video to understand why is another unarmed black man being killed here and uh, here, here locally. And NAACP has been doing a lot of fighting for, for to get some justice for it. So um, yeah, we just, we just tired of seeing this type of stuff and, you know, hopefully we could, we could get a, a resolution and get some justice to understand exactly what happened. Um, and the, the people, uh, if there's any wrongdoing and the folks are held accountable. Right. And then there was an incident, I believe, I don't remember which part of Virginia, but Ervo Latinio, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, also unfortunately Mm. um, was killed. Um, Not sure, not as familiar with that story, but I I think there was some some mental health challenges. Yeah, I think he was being transferred to, to... from a jail to a mental health facility, I think that, yeah, and and uh, yeah, I'm not not that familiar with the case, but apparently he was smothered by several officers involved in in trying to restrain him, um, and the family is also mm-hmm. involved in that trying to get some justice. So justice for him. Hopefully, we could, you know, we, we use this platform to make sure that we that these things don't get hidden. Sometimes they just become a blip in the radar, and because unfortunately it happens so so often. But we, but we do um, want to make sure that it, that 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 we we take take a moment to um, make you know say his name and and make sure that that you know we we let them know that the families families know that we were also in their corner fighting for you know for justice, sure, and for their story to be told. So, uh, I think the last last thing we wanted to to highlight real quick before we 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 bring in Irene here is today happens to mark the 20th anniversary of the Iraq war um another solemn moment really um in in our history um I have a lot of mixed mixed emotions about my military service you know because a large part because of the Iraq war as much as I I really appreciated uh you know the camaraderie the brotherhood you know the the education the career trajectory put me on the ability to to, to serve you know my country um yeah i definitely look back at the iraq war and and realize that you know like that 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 really was not um one of those moments that that we should be particularly proud of 
um, just the the naivety and arrogance and the the hawkishness and everything that that's just went into sending Americans over into Iraq um, and then not just Americanized laws, but uh, I think there are some estimates. The high estimates are like over a million people were killed um, mm-hmm. throughout that throughout that war. Um, and so I think we should we shouldn't just like let these moments go because mm-hmm. you know if we're gonna wave flags for the Ukraine and talk about how bad Russia is for invading another country, um, we should also take this moment to reflect on ourselves and say like what can we do differently? Mm-hmm. You know how can we um, realize that these moments are are also moments where we should you know we have our own tainted history you know mm-hmm. um, when it comes to to, to, to these things um, so. You know, to all those families and, and and loved ones and people who were lost, not just in the Iraq War, but all of the other things that happened subsequently afterwards, um, I think it's important that we that we notice and recognize and, and try to make sure that we don't do do the same thing again. So, mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. Um, well, I think it's time that we brought in Delegate Shin into this discussion. Delicate chin. Let me see here. Hey, hey. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you both? Great. Um, we're good. We're good. Um, so thank you so much for, for joining us. I'm so um, glad to be here. I really enjoyed hearing the current events updates on what's going yeah, on yeah. in the world today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot, right? It's a lot. There's it's a, a lot. lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot to keep 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 track of sometimes it seems like um yeah things are just like coming at you every day so it's a new headline um it's a new, you know so but that's why you know people like yourself are important right absolutely so, yeah we, we need we need more people like yourself out there fighting for fighting a good fight so really appreciate your all of your your efforts um you would so you know we, we could would, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, hi, everyone. I'm so happy to join Kareem or Shareem and Kofi tonight. Um, I've known Kofi and Shareem for a few years now. Um, we went through a leadership development program together, and we've been friends, and I've been fortunate enough to represent them in the House of Delegates. I currently represent the 86th District, which is Herndon, Chantilly, Reston, and a little bit of Sterling. And in the new iteration of the maps, um, I will represent Herndon, Chantilly, and a little bit of Fairfax. Um, I actually just filed my paperwork today uh, to run for re-election, and it's my very first uh, (laughs) re-election campaign. So, you know, things are underway. Yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, we can't vote for you, but we definitely are 100% behind you in any other way possible. Thank you. I feel like your uh, viewers should also know about your magnificent food truck. (laughs) 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 Because in 2021, um, during my first campaign, we had an event here in Herndon at Artspace, and we asked you all to come and cater food for this gathering we had. And Everybody was so delighted by the food that <laughs> um, but it didn't even matter like what kind of event it was. They were like, "We don't care. We're just here for the food." <laughs> so right, it was thanks, thanks. I appreciate. You know, I don't think we've ever actually even talked about the food truck. We on probably this, haven't, on this, uh, and program. we should have. Yeah, yeah. Big plug for Soul yeah. Rumble. I know, right? Yeah. If, yeah. if you guys are in the in the uh, the Northern Virginia area, yeah, we so we also have a food truck, Soul Rebel. Um, where we just hit our two-year anniversary. Um, unfortunately, and fortunately, I guess, you know, the, the good news, bad news is that we are going to be moving to Petersburg to open up a restaurant. So it's so going to be sold up a restaurant in a couple of months. 
Um, so if you're in the Petersburg area, we'd love to see you. <laughs> but yeah. Or if you're from Northern Virginia and you're visiting Petersburg or Richmond, come right, see, right. check us out. <laughs> but in the meantime, we're still, food truck's still out in Northern Virginia. So check us out, soulrubblefood.com. All right, enough enough plugging the food truck. <laughs> <laughs> So well, first of all, so what's what's on your what's in your cup? What's in your glass? What are you drinking today? Oh, um, I have a can of some Aslan beer. I, who would I be if I wasn't drinking Aslan? Aslan has two brewery locations, one here in Herndon and one in Alexandria. So I stop by um, Izzy, which is like their coffee shop almost every morning to get a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. And then I picked up a four pack this morning. It's their um, Berliner Weiss. It's brewed with passion fruit and mango and it is delicious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds good. Nice, nice. Local brews. I, I that's a new one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. We we have been there. We we did did have a good. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Got to go back. We've been there one time. They make pizza and bagels, and it's like it's lovely because it used to be just the brewery, and then they opened like the Izzy restaurant side. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Like food with your beer. I mean, hello. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they're really adding some pop to that to that um, downtown Herndon area too. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it's. I think they're on, they're on pause right now with like Comstock. They're supposed to be developing that like mm. mixed-used building that's coming up right across the street. So it's going to have like some really nice apartments and then new wow. retail space. So it'll it's going to look great. It's just like can't come fast enough. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um. So I know we we talked a little bit about the banking crisis yeah. just now. Are, is this a, is that a concern for you? Like, are you concerned that 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 might threaten our entire economy what yeah it's i think it's like it's an imminent threat always right and especially when mm -hmm. you think about what happened in 2008 um i you know i think that there's some kudos to be given to the biden administration and how they've been working really quickly um oh, to yeah. try and quell fears and then also in terms of the reassurances of like this isn't a taxpayer bailout like we gave to the big banks in 2008 i think the fact that they're using the funds that they all buy into as banks to keep each other responsible and accountable is the right move. Um, and then also, I think, you know, Senator Warren has been out front on this, right, talking about consumer protections and like risky banking behavior and how that shouldn't be allowed. And I think it goes back to the fact that when you allow corporate lobbyists to come in and change the regulations by which they're regulated, like that's a fundamental problem, right? And right. that, of course, is happening at the federal level, but it doesn't mean that it's not stuff that impacts the states. And certainly as a principal, right, as a state legislator, I can say like, yeah, when like companies or entities that are supposed to be overseen or have our oversight want to write their own rules to operate right. by it. Like, no, like the system is broken. Right, right. right. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, they're never going to write things. They're always going to write things in their favor. Any organization, right? Like they're going to write the, the, yeah, yeah. So no, that makes makes perfect sense. So hopefully, hopefully this week we've kind of, the, the worst is behind us. Yeah, on that. yeah. 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 Um, hopefully. So as we are here to talk, um, you know, celebrating Women's History Month, wanted to ask the question to you, Irene, what does women's history mean to you? Yeah, that's um, it's fun that we get to celebrate Women's History Month, even though I feel like it's always Women's History Month. Um, <laughs> right. And, you know, I recently learned that it used to be just a week until Congress mm. decided, like, we'll give hey. you a month. <laughs> so, Didn't realize that. Whole you month. Know, Black History Month had a similar path then, because it used yeah. to be just a, just a just a week. I totally. didn't realize Women's History Month used to be a week as well. I, it feels like systems of white oppression are the same no matter where you go. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, um, I think Women's History Month is is you know it's um, it's interesting to reflect back on because the amount of progress that women have made 
in such a short amount of time is pretty remarkable. And mm-hmm. um, I think a lot about when the first women were elected to the Virginia General Assembly. So the Virginia General Assembly has been around since 1619. It's, you know, touts the title of being one of the oldest continuously run uh, elected legislatures in the Western Hemisphere. And that's a title that we're really proud of. But it also means that, like, when the first House of Burgess delegation met, it was all white men who were all landowners, right? And what a different set of, you know, representatives to send down to Richmond than what we've got now. And so it's not until 1924 that you see the first women elected. Right. And it's not until the 1980s that you see the first black women elected. Mm-hmm. And it's not until 2017 that you see, you know, Kathy Tran and Kelly Converse Fowler, who are the first AAPI women elected. And mm-hmm. so when we think about history, it's like we're in the middle of making history now. Right. And I think oh, yeah. that that's a really grounding reminder for me that the decisions that we make now are really important and that much more urgent for how we shape, not just like, you know, 10 years from now, but like literally tomorrow, um, what's it gonna look like? Um, And so Women's History Month for me is about reflecting on not only like the progress that we've made, but also reflecting on like whose shoulders do we stand on and like what responsibility do we carry to leave um, a legacy and like an opportunity for other women to follow afterwards. Right, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's a great, great point because, I mean, yeah, like you still hear the first API person. You still hear the first, you know, uh, African-American to do X, Y, and Z. Like this is still a constant thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and in a lot of cases, unfortunately, like like in order to be the first of, of, of whatever, like you have to be so exceptional, right? You're like the the people, you know, you, you can't just be like an average you know, person, there's so many like average white males who make it to like everything, mm-hmm. you know, like they're just, they just walk through the door and like just get whatever they want. But like in order to be the, the, the first Asian or the first woman or the first black or whatever, it's like, you have to be like the best, you know, there was like Barack Obama, who's like the smartest person in the world, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he was like the smartest president ever. Like this objectively, there were like people who like actually like evaluated his, his speeches and his, you know, his vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And like, he's like literally like the smartest president, like, but it took that to become, mm-hmm. you know, the first black president. Okay. You know, like it's it it'd be great if we can get like the 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 black equivalent of like George Bush or something. Like you know, they're like I mean, just maybe not. You know, but what I'm saying is like someone who who is like literally like more of a of an average intelligence. Like I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, that might sound like I'm disparaging, you know, but it but this there were like objective tests that have been done that evaluated our presidents. That I'm that I'm when I'm referencing George Bush as you know level of intelligence, um, so it, it, whatever I'll say it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not lost on me on the day in which we're celebrating or like not celebrating, commemorating right the 20th anniversary of the Iraq invasion. Right, you all talked about it. Like, yes. it's not lost on me that that's the day and like and that George W. Bush was our leader at the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I watch his speeches. I mean, you know. It, revisionist history a little bit. I think one of like the best glow ups of the decade is probably George Bush going from like the George Bush of the Iraq invasion to going to the George Bush who like draws paintings and like passes candy with Michelle Obama. In right. <laughs> That's like the best glow up of the decade. So yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and we're not even going to talk about Trump. We'll just that's a whole different category. Was that part of the news cycle today? Is he arrested yet? Has he been? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it should have been, right? Yeah, is that happening? <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, but no, not, not not a chance, not not yet, at least. Ugh. Um, so 
tell us, like, you know, let for for the viewers out there who who don't really know your background, like, where are you from Virginia originally? Like, how, when did you when did you move here? Yeah, I'm not from Virginia originally. I grew up in Burbank, California, which is a suburb just outside Los Angeles. And I moved out here about a decade ago and have been in Northern Virginia ever since. Um, yeah, so I, I think that there's this idea that you have to be native to a place to care about the community and want to work to build community. And um, mm -hmm. I would say that that's not always true. Absolutely. Yeah, cool, cool. So we talked a little bit about March Madness earlier. Do you follow March Madness? Uh-uh, girl. No? <laughs> we don't really either. I just thought that <laughs> Howard made it, so I was excited. Yes, yes. Although it sounds like all the other Virginia schools uh, lost early on, and so everyone's really sad about that. <laughs> right, right. Mm. Did you happen to play any sports while you were growing up? I did. I played tennis. Oh. Yes, and I still cool. play tennis pretty poorly. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, I played in high school. I played in oh, high school. Yeah. I was actually pretty good in high school, I must say. Um, I was actually like the MVP of my high school team. Oh, dang! Shout out to the Banneker Bulldogs. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I like tennis. I like tennis. I didn't know you played. We gotta, we gotta get on the court one of these days. Yeah, I mean, we are so lucky to live in Herndon because there are so many courts, not just in the town, but also like Reston has a bunch of courts. Like Fairfax yeah. County makes it easy for us to be outdoors. Yeah, I haven't played since high school though, so I probably <laughs> you have to take it easy on a I probably pull something. <laughs> like I said, I played poorly in high school and I play poorly now, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, all right. So okay, what are we question? Let's let's jump into it. All right. So, um, so the the title of this this program or or this series is uh, empowered women empowering women. Um, so, what does that mean to you? Like, if, if you know, yeah, I think that there's um, it's something that I think uh, Vice President Kamala Harris said, right? That she might be the first, but certainly not the last, right? And I think about that a lot because, um, you know, I think we pay homage to the folks who came before us who made this possible, right? The women particularly who come before us to blaze these trails and open doors for us. But then I think it's also incumbent on each of us who pass through the doors, right? To not just leave the door open, but like maybe swing it open more widely, right? Mm -hmm. And make sure that um, we're bringing folks in with us. And I think that that's true. And in a, in a way, like, you know, saying empowered women, empowering women, like that almost sounds so like philosophical and theoretical, but in practice, it really is about um, like, what are you doing to be mindful about the ways that you interact and empower the people who are around you? I think certainly there's an element mm -hmm. to it about women empowering women, but I think generally like thinking about the younger generation and the folks who are coming in, um, leaving space for them and without having territory or ego. Um, one of the stories mm -hmm. I talk a lot about since I've been in the General Assembly for two years now, right? Um, and before that, Kofi, you know, um, we were activists and we were advocates and we were down there in Richmond, like doing the work of the people, right? We're talking about voting rights, expanding access to resources and public funding for schools. And we were always doing those things. But, um, and so when I was like, I'm gonna run for office, I, I really was like, I know how that place is operated. Mm. Like I've seen the sausage made, mm. I know what I'm getting myself into. And then I ran for office, I won and I get down there and I was like, holy, am I allowed to cost? Like, like I was just like, what is this? <laughs> Right? Like, it was. I, this is not the sausage that I thought we were making. Like it's a completely mm -hmm. different ball game. Really? And in some ways, for the better. 
but more more so like not. Um, you know, when we think about workplaces and we talk about workplace culture and, you know, people like the sort of buzzword right now is diversity, equity and inclusion and accessibility. When we think about those things, we think about workplace cultures and we talk a lot about building inclusive workspaces by l- removing preferences and traditions. Mm and allowing requirements to be the thing that leads people into workplaces. So for example, if I'm like, I need you to take notes in this meeting, that's a requirement. But Mm -hmm. if I say, I want you to take notes on pink post-it pads with blue pen ink, that's Mm -hmm. a preference, right? Mm -hmm. But if tradition says we take notes on legal notepad paper, so that's why we're going to do it. That means that someone's tradition and someone's preference is what's driving the way that we operate. And those are Mm -hmm. inherently exclusionary ways to operate Mm -hmm. a workplace and a culture. The Virginia General Assembly is almost entirely run on workplace traditions and culture. Mm. Wow. Everything is about, we've always done it this way, or this is just mm-hmm. how it's done. I mean, I think about even Robert's rules of order, right? Sure, it's written down somewhere, but there's no real reason we'd adopt that <laughs> way of doing it, right? Like, why does emotion have to be seconded, right? Like, why can't we just like go straight into debate? And, and the, the idea is that like, it's just because we've always done it this way. Um, and so now I tell people, if I ever write a memoir, it's going to be titled, that's not how we do things here. <laughs> because yeah. I love it. times that I've been told that since I've been in office, right? I'm like, oh, let's try this. And they're like, well, that's not how we do it. And I'm like, yeah. but we could, right? Yeah. They're like, we could, but we don't. And I'm, you know, it's, it's just like, oh, okay. So I think just like thinking about like, how are we, how are we keeping these institutions inaccessible and exclusive Mm. inherently um, just by the fact that we're adhering to cultural norms Mm. rather than like, what do you really need to be able to do to represent your community and do a kick-ass job while you're in the assembly? Like Mm. that's what we should focus on. And somehow Mm. we're not focusing on that. So empowered women, empowering women to me means like thinking about like what's wrong here and like what's broken and what can we do to bust this place open in order to make more women, more people of color, more folks who look like their communities they want to represent be able to come into this place. I love that's that. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you, go ahead. Well, do you do you do you think you're in a position to change the way things are done, or are you just too new? I'm too new. That's 100 percent evident to me. Um, yeah. And t- about cultures and traditions and like you know norms, I think the the other thing I realized was, you know, um, as advocates and activists, when we think about the budget process, when we think about how bills are made, so much of that was really frustrating to me as an advocate because I was like. I don't have the visibility of what's going mm. on. Like, surely I'm missing something, right? Mm. Like, and so I was like, as a member, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to get to see how things are made. I'm going to know who's making the decisions on these things. I'm going to know what's going on. But it actually turns out that as a new member, it's like not that much different than being an activist or an advocate. Mm. Really? Like, the processes wow. are still incredibly opaque. So, you know, I'll remember mm. that there was one time last year we were sitting on the floor and we were just like, sitting like literally on the chamber of the floor just like waiting and no one was explaining to us what we were waiting for until i saw on twitter the virginia mercury tweeted like you know uh, progress stalls in the general assembly as they await uh senate negotiations on like the sec commissioners and i was like oh that's what we're waiting for wow. <laughs> right and i was like okay got it and you know the same thing goes for this budget process right now we left mm-hmm. richmond the session without finishing our budget because like we mm-hmm. couldn't come to compromise but when I say we couldn't come to compromise, like I don't mean we as in me, I mean we as in the four people in the General Assembly who are in charge mm-hmm. of negotiating the budget, right? And yeah. um, it's it's like so mind blowing to me how opaque the process is, and so mm-hmm. much of it 
of the processes are just for pomp and circumstance, like right, mm. just for the sake of doing it, when like actually doesn't mean anything. Um, mm. And I find, I find that like to be so frustrating for me. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. And didn't think about it in the way you're saying, like that's that's kind of how we talk about like, you know, like organizations and how like the exclusionary. Yes. So that's that's really insightful and, and interesting how how that works as well in the, in the legislature. Yeah. yeah. Um, what inspired you? It's not built for us. It's not built right. by us. And it was, um, and until like we're ready to like transform it from inside out, it won't ever be something that works for us. Right, right. Mm. So what inspired you to run for office? Yeah. Um, the, the reason I got into politics was when I was in high school, um, in spite of my parents being Buddhists, they, um, they're devout Buddhists and they're Korean immigrants. And somehow like along the way, they decided they were going to send me to a private Christian school for high school. And so I go to this private Christian school and it's a very um, like evangelical type of school. So we're going on mission trips all the time. Um, and so my freshman year, we go to Mexico and like not in your normal like spring break Mexico type of way. But we're like it's like 50 kids loaded into a school bus and we drive from L.A. down to Mexico into like a rural community. Um, and we set up camp there for a week. Like literally it's like a dirt field mm -hmm. and we're using porta potties and like it's a whole heck of a time. Um, but we're working with two rural churches. And it turns out that in these like very rural parts of Mexico, which I think is probably something that you see across the globe, I imagine, um, churches are the hubs of community, right? It's where people go to like catch up on gossip and it's where people go to sometimes just like get a hot meal, but it's also where people go to like go take showers and like wash their hands and like have running hot water because like their homes don't always have that. And so we'd go and work with these partnering with these churches. We'd work with the neighboring kids in the community and like run a vacation Bible school for them all week long. We'd go to the Home Depot and buy water heaters to install, not just like at the church, but also for some of the houses that could take them. Um, and it's like my favorite thing in the entire world up to that point. I'm like 13 years old and I'm like, this is the thing I want to do forever, right? Like I love how good it feels to like help people. <clears throat> Fast forward a few years and it's my senior year and I'm, I'm in Mexico and I'm doing the thing and I'm like wrapping up and it's my last year in which I'm going to be participating in this program. And I'm like weeping and I'm in tears and I'm like so upset about it. And I'm thinking about like all of these people who like, who's going to come back and fix their water heater for them next year, right? That's what I'm thinking mm -hmm. about. Um, when I realized that this like really sort of demoralizing thing dawns on me and it's that like we help these 30 or 40 families in this community. But like, what about the 30 or 40 thousands of families who mm -hmm. don't have access to hot water? And that's yeah. really what gets me thinking about like, oh, like, how do I fix that? Because it's like high school kids going out to do this can't be the solution. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. after a lot of like thought and introspection, the, the thing that comes to me is um, the only way that we can scale impact, like at, at the scale in which we need to is through policy. Right. Mm -hmm. like government mm -hmm. agencies and government entities are the only ones that have the resources and the capacity big enough to scale impact um, mm -hmm. to really lift up all families, not just mm -hmm. the 30 or 40 near this one church. Um, and so I decided I'm going to go into politics because I was like, I'm going to write really good policy. I'm going to get the in the right place and I'm going to become an attorney and I'm going to write really good legislation. And I go to college and I watch President Obama in his first term. Right. Beautiful policy. Great ideas 
completely ruined by Mitch McConnell. <laughs> right? Just like stonewalled at every turn. And I was like, this, th I've got it wrong, right? It's mm -hmm. not about the legislation. It doesn't matter where the comma is. It matters who we elect into office, right? Mm -hmm. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to pivot my career. And like, as soon as I graduate, I go work on campaigns because I'm like, it matters who we elect to office. Like, that's the thing that matters. And so I spend a number of years working on campaigns and then um, I, I shift from that point again, right? One more time where I realize what doesn't matter who we put onto a ballot if the communities can't access that ballot box in the same way, right? Mm -hmm. And the person that we're putting into office is no longer actually reflective of who the communities want because they don't have equal access to the ballot box. And so I pivot my work and start to think about voting rights, right? And like, how do we ensure that democracy is truly reflective of the communities that they're supposed to represent? Because policies can't be decided on by people who don't have those lived experiences, right? Mm -hmm. I have a lived experience of being an immigrant's kid. And so like, I know what it's like to translate documentation and be in teacher parent meetings, translating for my parents in Korean. And like, so when we talk about English language learners and resources, like, People who have those experiences should probably be at the table making those decisions about those policies, right? And I think that goes across the board, right? Like maybe like men shouldn't talk about my right to have an abortion, right? Like, <laughs> you know, those, I think those are, that's like fundamentally what I believe. And so um, fast forward a little bit and I decide I, I'm going to run for office because like the, the, the things that we're facing right now, right? The issues of our time are so urgent um, that we can't afford to let some douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> get in the way of progress, right? And like that's, I mean, you know that, Kofi, better than anyone, right? Like you, like I, I know that you, um, as someone who lives in this neighborhood, like we saw how sort of clownish our um, pre my predecessor was, and so um, and I'll say that here because it's it's true. And so I, <laughs> it's like, if not Kofi, then who? And I said, okay, like, let's give it a shot. And so I did, and threw my hat into the ring because I thought I could do a better job. Um, mm -hmm. The, yeah. Like the things that we're facing right now, like really, like we do not have, we cannot afford to be playing around right now. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're, the point you made about um, like the, doing a little bit here and there versus um, having a greater impact on the policy level. Um, so I think Pastor Walton was the one that I got this from. Yeah. So he, 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 shared, he, he phrased it as acts of, acts of service versus acts of justice, like justice mm -hmm. being like the, mm -hmm. like the strategic level mm -hmm. impact, you know, versus mm -hmm. like just doing something, which is, you know, it's always good to do. You need people who are out there doing, but they also need uh, people who, who are taking, you know, steps to make sure you t you're, you're having a, a larger strategic impact, which mm -hmm. um, I think is a point that you made. You made a lot, you made a lot of great points there. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, so you, you brought up the issue of abortion. Um, obviously, since Roe versus Wade uh, was was struck down by the Supreme Court, um, there's just been all hell's basically breaking breaking loose across the across the state. Um, what where do you think we're heading? Um, I, I know, like right now, like there's a Texas judge who is supposed to be making a ruling that could actually impact whether or not women um, get access to to to, to pills nationwide. Um, how do you where, where do you think we're heading with this? Yeah. Well, I think first off, um, like my first reaction to Roe v. Wade being overturned is like, you know, um, all the folks who are like, 
<laughs> right? I we, I feel like we've been saying like it's like it's imminent, right? The I think there has been one party who has systematically been investing in appointments of federal judges to be in place for this very thing. Like for 50 years, they've been looking to overturn Roe v. Wade. So I don't think any of us should be surprised. But the fact that we are getting this um, outcry is, I think, very easy um, to say it's because there's a very particular type of person who's now impacted by this law too, right? And that's like um, privileged white women who are like, wait, this is, I'm also gonna be impacted, right? Because abortion access has always been hard for low income women of color mm -hmm. right, in certain mm -hmm. communities. And so, you know, I'll take the allies where I can, but like, certainly this is, this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that this is happening because it's, they've been literally working on this for 50 years. Right, right. Yeah. I, I take some heart in the outcomes of the 2022 elections, right? Like, I, I don't think we can deny, like, all of the things that were weighing on Americans and, and voters' minds, right? Um, the economy, certainly, right? Um, Trump, like, what's happening with the post-Trump era. Um, but when we looked at exit polls over and over again, an overwhelming majority of voters said they were worried about women's rights and abortion access. And I think that that tells you, like, people don't want to talk about it all the time. But like they are thinking about it, right? And they are worried about it. Think about Nebraska, right? Where or Michigan, right? Where they were able to pass ballot initiatives to like constitutionally protect a person's right to bodily autonomy. Like I, I just think that um, you know, like most things I feel this way about. Uh, like we are on the right side of this issue, right? It might take right. a while for us to get there, mm -hmm. but like we are on the right side of it. And like we just gotta hold. Um, mm -hmm. Stay true to our course. Um, are, you, are you optimistic that we'll get some federal legislation? I'm not. No. Yeah, I, I think that. Um, although you know, I could be wrong. If if we're able to pick up a majority back a back pick back a majority in the House, keep the White House right. You know, we saw them move really quickly towards um, legalizing gay marriage. Right, like that was a federal act. They did. They did it. Like so, they could do it. I think that the thing mm -hmm. that and here is in, in abortion access, the conversation continues to get mired up. Even in Virginia, we saw it this past session, like, you know, where is the line? Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, some some folks like we've had Republicans introduce complete bans on abortion. So zero. Right. Like mm -hmm. not at all. Not even in the case of mm -hmm. danger to the mother's life or right like or rape right or right none of those exceptions. And so is that the line or like where is the line? And I think that that's. Um, that's probably going to be part of the conversation. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we like we internally argue so much about it. Yeah. Was was there ever like one politician that inspired you particularly the most? Yeah. Um, I think it's in, in the right context of like Women's History Month and like in li living in history right now, it's Vice President Kamala Harris. Um, really? She's my, yeah, she's my former boss. <laughs> I say she gets beat up a lot. I know. Um, yeah. And that sucks, right? But like, can we just like take a moment to remember that like she is still the first woman in that role? She is the first person of color, right? Of both Black, African, and AAPI. Like she's shattered glass ceilings like left and right to be in that role. And so like the fact that it doesn't surprise me and it shouldn't surprise any of us that the standards for her performance are, you know, 2X higher than what they were for freaking George Bush, right? <laughs> like, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like, so anyone who tells me that it's not about her race or it's not about her gender, like, you know, get out of here. Don't come at me with that. Yeah. 
Do you, do you, so, so to that point, do you think that women in general get judged differently? Oh, absolutely. I think we get judged differently in the way that we show up in our workplaces. We get judged differently for um, how we're expected to perform. I'll, I'll tell one story um, from the General Assembly where, you know, we were hearing that this judge was not doing a good job. And one of the responsibilities, and I think the most important responsibilities of General Assembly members is we in Virginia still appoint our judges. Right. So the General Assembly has a lot of political power and judge our judicial appointments. And so um, we were hearing that this one judge was um, having some performance issues. And so upon further research, we were like, well, like what what, what kind of performance issues are we talking about here? Right. Because to be a judge, you have to assumedly be like someone who's got experience on the bench, who's been practicing law for a long time. And sure enough, this person did. And the kind of feedback we were getting were from men. Right. Um, And they were saying that she's that this person was not nice. And oh, wow. she oh, wasn't wow. that, that this judge wasn't nurturing or she wasn't friendly oh, and didn't have a good demeanor on the bench. Wow. This is like 1950 something, or and you know, it makes you wonder, like, wait, I'm sorry, what? And so, like, it's it's so to, to say that you know, absolutely, I think that the expectations of how women show up into spaces, um, if they don't align with what people are trained or conditioned to expect from mm-hmm. women, um, it obviously it like inherently becomes a point of conflict, right? Because mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. like women, when they show up as demanding or as commanding, they're immediately seen as bossy, right? Yep. Um, and yeah. if we're if we're not nurturing in the right in the ways that like society has conditioned us to be nurturing or motherly, and instead like we're like no, we're independent, like we want we want what we want, like we're seen as you know um, like effeminate or like too it too too masculine, right, and not mm-hmm. feminine enough. And so like yeah, like these stereotypes of how society and culture condition people to expect us impacts the way that we show up for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Shane's pretty bossy with me, so I'm very bossy. With him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those great leadership skills. I don't know. There's a different way. <laughs> I need it though, so I, I don't turns <laughs> out most men do. I don't know. So, question for you, Irene, as you're getting ready to, you know, relaunch your campaign. What are some issues that you're motivated to tackle um, yeah. going forward? Some of the issues that I've been working on the past couple of sessions. Um, are issues that I didn't expect to come into this space thinking about because I campaigned on three things. I campaigned on expanding healthcare access. I campaigned on early childhood education and affordable childcare. Uh, and I, ex- I campaigned on voting rights and democracy. And I got into session. Um, and the things that I ended up like fighting really hard for were consumer protections, uh, mm. jail reform, um, and healthcare, like healthcare, 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 right? But mm. um, I'll share a little bit about the story that on this bill that I've been fighting for for the past two years in a row, um, both years it's died in the General Assembly because of the, you know, the general partisan makeup of it. But in 2020, um, it's like May of 2020. We have no idea what's going on, right? Like we're just in lockdowns. Like it's like the first wave of lockdowns mm-hmm. in Petersburg, the city of Petersburg. Um, I'm hearing reports out of Petersburg that residents in Petersburg don't have access to water because the city is shutting off water for delinquent payments. So you're like, okay, so the CDC is telling you like, come home, wash your hands with scalding hot water for 30 seconds, shower as much as possible, throw your clothes in the laundry as much as possible, right? Like I'm wiping down my groceries when I come home. Like that's where we are in May of 2020. And to Mm -hmm. think that there are people, there are whole families in Petersburg who don't have access to water right now Mm -hmm. is mind blowing, right? And so you're like, wait, 
But also we're in a lockdown, so their livelihoods are gone, right? They don't have that job as a waitress or a hostess or a bell clerk, right, at the hotel. Like none of these jobs are open right now. So like you can't pay your bills. So they're turning off your water. And now not only are you a risk to yourself, right, like your own dignity and to your own health, but you're also a community health risk now, right? Because you can't clean yourself. You can't wash your hands. And so it becomes this whole thing in Um, You know, we have a scrappy coalition of folks who get together to, you know, work on this. And so we're able to get a moratorium included in the budget language from Northam in 2020 to say like, hey, like utilities can't cut anybody off right now. I don't care if you can or can't pay. Like you must have gas, water and electricity, right? Like, and I was like, great. Like that's the thing I worked on. And so I come into the General Assembly and I'm like, great, we're going to codify that. Like we did it through budget language. It'll be easy. Like who doesn't want to keep water and lights on during an emergency? Mm -hmm. I come against a lot of opposition from guess who? (laughs) Utility providers, right? They throw up opposition. And I'll tell you that this year was a a year in which I learned my, a new lesson, which was that my, my fight is not always against Republicans. But my fight mm. sometimes is against lobbyists. And mm. then it's like a whole set of new revelations where I'm like, how am I supposed to fight capitalism every day? Yeah. Like, what is this? <laughs> right? So yeah. it, it and, was um, brutal. money talks, right? I, clearly it does, yeah. right? And I just, so anyways, that was the bill that I um, cared a lot about and tried to get across and um, did it did not work. But, you know, this year, if assuming we can take back the majority in the House of Delegates, like, I plan on coming back for that same bill, right? Because it's common sense. Like people should not be without water, electricity or gas in the middle of a pandemic, let alone like any other public health crisis or if there's a weather emergency, right? Like those are, that seems common sense to me, but it's not always common sense to everyone. And then the other thing that I worked on two years in a row was um, price gouging in jails. Um, You know, we hear a lot about the the prison industrial complex, right? And private entities that profiteer in prisons. What we don't hear about are the sheriffs that profiteer in jails. Mm. And so the jails have telecommunication services, the jails with outside vendors, they have commissaries with outside vendors and Mm. the commissions made on giving those contracts to those vendors goes directly back to the sheriff's office. Really? Mm -hmm. Didn't realize that. Yep. And so what we're seeing is, uh, for example, at the Rappahannock regional jail, a phone call can cost something like, anywhere between like 10 and $14 for a 20 minute phone call, right? Or Richmond city, that same thing. Right. Like, yeah, literally it's it's like an hourly rate. Right. But, and so like, like at, at rich Richmond city jail, that same phone call is like a dollar 30 cents, which is sort of the right range of what it should be. Right. A phone, a 20 minute phone call, like a dollar 30. Cool. So they're making commissions off of the rate at which they're charging people to use their phones. Mm-hmm. They're making commissions off of the rates at or which um, they're selling commissary items. So, for example, the most offensive thing, one of the most offensive things I found, like a single use packet of mayo at the Arlington County Jail is $1.25 for like one packet of, of mayo, like one packet. Um, if you go to a Target or Kroger or grocery store and you buy, you know, those like Quaker variety packs of instant oatmeal it's like three dollars and fifty cents even like with a f- inflation it's like three dollars and fifty cents at the mm. arlington county jail that's eight dollars and 75 cents right so you're talking mm. about a two three or four x markup on these products that they're selling and on those margins of profit the sheriff is pocketing it mm. and so when they first introduced this legislation that allowed them to do that they said hey like we're going to take this money and use it for inmate programs 
you know, like re-entry programs, rehab programs, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why the General Assembly allowed that to happen. They're like, okay, you know, fine. What we're finding in reality is happening is zero dollars are being spent on programs in places like Norfolk, where literally, if you look at their city budget, the sheriff says, I'm spending zero dollars on programs for inmates. But they're making upwards of like one to two to three million dollars annually. And then using that funding to give their deputy sheriffs like year end bonuses. Wow. Mm. And. Mm. I mean, I just like it, like my mind was blown, right? Because the 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 folks who are behind bars in local jails, one, they're not even convicted yet. They might be just awaiting trial, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they're a captive market in that they have nowhere else to go. Like they can't go to Target or they can't order stuff from Amazon. They have to buy from this one vendor at the jail, right? So right. you're holding a captive market, like basically hostage, and then right. you're going to price gouge them. You're right? jack up the prices. Exactly. And like, it's just so inhumane and unconscionable to think about like the disproportionate number of of folks who are behind bars are black and brown. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if they're disproportionately men, that means the folks who are supporting them, who are filling their commissary accounts, who are putting money into their accounts that they can buy that stupid box of Quaker oatmeal are women. Right. Are black and brown women on the outside who are supporting their loved ones. And so the whole system. Anyways, that's that's my big rant on like local jails. And that's what I've been fighting for the past two years. Also, not a bill that is going anywhere in a Republican majority, but certainly we'll try again next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I, you know, it's something that I thought I would be so um, like into the details on here. But man, like the more and more you uncover, the more and more mad like you get because it's just so unjust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a there's a little, little saying that, you know, jails don't just keep people in. They also keep information Mm. you know like it's it's it, it serves as a wall both ways right like mm. it, it, it's a barrier for um people understanding what's going on inside the jails and a lot of there's just really not a lot of transparency um so some of the things that that you've um just mentioned here um were new to me you yeah know? um and i've worked on you know criminal justice reform issues for for several years and and so you're always learning some other wow. um crappy thing that's that's being done to the people behind uh, people behind bars so yeah but kudos to you for fighting that. Definitely, definitely a, a worthwhile cause. So yeah, yeah. Thanks for yeah, yeah. inspiring us. I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know all that stuff. So thank you for shedding light on that. Um, yeah. So absolutely. as we're, as we're, you know, looking at um, again, keeping the theme of celebrating women. Um, just wanted to get some thoughts from you on. So if if there was a woman who's listening to our program who's looking to run for office, what what is some um, advice you would give that person? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. The first piece of advice I would give is um, that feeling like an imposter, the imposter syndrome, it just never goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so don't worry about it. Like, don't feed it anymore. It's just never going to go away. Make peace with it. You're always going to feel like an imposter, like no matter how kick-ass you are. So um, don't feed the monster. Let it just like sit there um, and don't worry about it. The second piece of advice I would give is um don't minimize or end up underestimate your own lived experiences and the value that they inherently bring to the conversations you're trying to have. Um, the, again, the fact of the matter is that these systems were not built for us. They were not built by us and they continue to not work for us. Um, and so our job is to get into place and then be able to transform it from inside out. 
Um, and just the fact that you are thinking about running for office, the kind of lived experiences that you're bringing to the table and the voices that you're bringing with you when you enter into these rooms, like that in and of itself is progress. And so um, don't un underestimate that. And then the third piece is um, to dress the part. That's advice mm -hmm. I give with a really heavy heart because um, I, I hate the idea that we have to show up into these spaces looking a certain way and like mm -hmm. doing the 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 perpetuation of like respectability politics. Um, mm. But unfortunately, that's like not yet where the world is. And so when I show up into a room dressed the way that I am, um, people perceive me in that way, right? So I try really hard when I go into rooms where I know I'm gonna have to have like serious conversations or, you know, I'm gonna try and make them not underestimate me because I am five feet tall, I do look really young and um, I am an Asian American woman um, who, you know, our own set of challenges with like men and the fetishization and the objectification of us, um, you know, all those things true. I still, like, I still try to show up in, you know, like mm -hmm. the sharpest suit I own because I want them to know that I'm serious. And again, it's, um, we're not yet in a world in which people aren't going to judge us by our clothes, but it does still matter in these, in these um, spaces. So I would say like dress the part when you show up. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we had that. We had that conversation. So one of our other podcasts, we had a conversation about like professionalism mm -hmm. and what does it, what does that really mean? Um, and you know, I, I think was that the the, the podcast about worse to leave by leave behind? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, we did a we did a, a program about like worse to leave behind in you know 2022, um, and professionalism was one of those words mm -hmm. in really kind of coded language that that really speaks to a certain um, really white male uh, or, or, you know, standard, right? And so like, mm -hmm. if you're, if your hair is, you know, a certain, certain way or, right. you know, especially for a black mm -hmm. woman, if you have like natural hair or if you're, you know, you, you, you the, the standards are really established by people who are, who are not outside of your culture mm -hmm. a lot of times. Um, and especially if, you, if you're a woman, um, you know, you, you, you receive different, you're treated differently. Right. So, so hearing you say that, um, yeah, is definitely, definitely resonates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's it's unfortunate, right? Because that's like, that's not the world I want to be a practitioner of. Like, that's not right. where I want to live. Like, I want to be able to show up in like chucks and not have to wear heels. And like, I want to show up in jeans. And, and it's just like, you know, that's not the world that we live in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, keep fighting it. Keep fighting it. Yes. I want to see you in those chucks one of these days. <laughs> yeah. You know who has the best sneaker game is Delegate Jackie Glass. Uh, she yeah. shows up to the floor during session with the best sneakers on day in and day out. Uh, yeah. she, I feel like she's doing it. Like she's changing the game just a little bit by showing yeah. up. That's not a little way of protest. Good yeah, for her. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, she's awesome. Cool, cool. All right. We're, you got time for a quick lightning round? Yeah, sure. So the lightning round. All right. So we're, I'm going to give you two, two options. You got to choose one. Okay. All right, meant to be meant to be fun, fun and fast. So, um, cake or pie? Ooh, cake. <laughs> all right. Which yeah. type of cake, Irene? What's your favorite all flavor? Cake. I love all okay. cake. I especially love a black and yellow cake. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. Okay. Better vacation: beach or camping? Beach. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how could you turn that down? <laughs> Which you won that one? All right. Spring or fall? Fall. Less allergies. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
But spring is like, you know, it's like rebirth. You, know? you got flowers <laughs> coming out and everything. And today is the first day of spring. I forgot about that. And my birthday is, yeah. yeah well, your spring, birthday is so not the first day of spring. It's today. It's but pretty it's much. It's close enough. It's close enough. All right. Breaking Bad or Friends? Friends. Yeah? Yes. Okay. You didn't even hesitate on that one. <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong on that one, but it's all right. <laughs> All right. Um, what's next for you? We're, we're, yeah, you, guys, uh, you know, running for a reelection, but you know, how yeah. are you? What are you looking forward to? Um, what am I looking forward to? You know, um, a, a big life change happened for me. My parents. I grew up in LA. Uh, my parents were in LA, but they just retired and they sold their business and they moved to Virginia. Uh-huh. Um, and when I was like, like we were looking for houses with my parents, I was like, where do you guys like want to live? And they're like, we want to live close to you. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. great. They moved in across the street from me. So <laughs> <laughs> like real close. <laughs> yeah, like real close. Um, so that's, I'm looking forward to like what it looks like to have family close by. You know, I've really missed having them here and I'm really excited yeah. about what, you know, you need a village. Um, and I'm so happy yeah. that my parents are here and I can help to care for them as they can help to care for me too. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, well, your Shereen's mom actually just moved from New York. She just retired, mm-hmm. moved to Virginia. Not not across the street, but she's in Woodbridge. She's in Woodbridge. Yeah. Okay. Like, that so. seems way more reasonable. I was like, Mom, like Sterling is great. <laughs> that's too far. That's too far. Like, no, that's at least a 10 minute commute. Yeah, it's too far. But what about for you guys? What's next for you? Oh, boy. Everything. Well, Amari's graduating from college this year. Oh my gosh! Wow. We have a college graduate, and he's going to be moving to Houston. Um, What's he doing in Houston? Oh, uh, he's going to be working for Deloitte. Wow. Yeah. He's got a big fancy job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that's a big change, and yeah. then you know, relocating to start the restaurant. Oh. So yeah, we've got a lot going on in this the next couple months. Yeah. What about your littlest? He's, he's a freshman um, at the same at Virginia State as well in Petersburg. Okay. So they go to the same oh, school. Okay. Yeah. So you're like gonna That's be close. Well, we got to think about Petersburg because we're like, we yeah. went down there and we kind of saw a lot of opportunities, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, we, yeah. we, we kind of yeah, we, we we like the area. Yeah, there's a lot up and coming. We'll have to talk oh, about yeah. the Petersburg casino because y'all are gonna be Petersburg residents now and you have an opinion. <laughs> yeah, we've been we hope we hope seeing that, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, I know there's always a lot of pros and cons with a casino, um, yeah. but we, we definitely, from like the the economic standpoint, there's there's a lot of opportunities there that, yeah. you know, as 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 new business owners in the area, we would yeah. like to see that area grow economically, mm-hmm. um, and so bring us a new business. Um, if it's done, everything's done in a respectful way. You got to make sure we, we take everything into account. But yeah. I, I, I see more pros and cons. Honestly. Yeah. When are y'all slated to move? Um, sometime in May, sometime in so May, a couple months. May or June. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The primary down there is on June twentieth, y'all. So if you get there quick enough, same day voter registration. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's possible. We'll be cutting close, but it's possible. Same day voter <laughs> registration that exists now in Virginia. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Irene, we definitely appreciate you taking some time to chat with us. This has been a great conversation. Absolutely. I, I so you- appreciate you all. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for all the work that you've been doing and all of the great stuff that your issues that you've been fighting for. Um, and definitely just looking forward. Just happy to see, you know, your 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 growth, you know, like as a person, like just from you know, we when we first met several years ago to like now you're in office and you know, I have this this it's just awesome. So so congratulations. 
And I'm um, really excited to see your your trajectory. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank you, Shreem Kofi. To you, to you all the same, right? Went from being like in the <laughs> in like the Department of Defense, right? You were yeah, a yeah. guy, and then you were like, forget this, and you <laughs> started a food truck, and now you and Shreem are co-business owners for like DEIA work, and it's so cool. And I'm so so proud of both of you all and the work that you all continue to do. Um, Thank and you. I am blessed to know you all. Oh, thank you. Thank likewise, you. likewise, likewise, for yeah. sure. Um, so real quick, if anyone would like, you know, please, if you're watching this video, give us a thumbs up, like, subscribe. Uh, if you want to catch, uh, get alerts about future videos, um, check us out. Uh, this also will be a podcast for uh, um, podcast version of it will be available anywhere podcasts are, are available. Um, check out our website, 42fightingwords.com. Yeah. Thank you all. Too much stuff to remember. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all for joining. And thank you so much again, Irene, for joining us today. Thank right. you. It was my pleasure. See you all later. All right. Thank bye you. Bye-bye.